0: Strategic Healthcare Partners, founded by principals John Crew and Mike Scribner, operates from offices in Savannah and Atlanta. Our diverse team prioritizes clients, ensuring we fully understand their needs. As your business partner, we are an extension of your professional identity. SHP tailors services to your individual needs, offering flexible pricing structures. From IPA management to financial analysis, we're here to empower your organization. Visit shplc.com for details.
1: Welcome to Beyond the Stethoscope, a conversations with SHP. I'm your host, Jason Crosby. Today, I'm joined with my partner in crime, Aaron Higgins, as we interview our guest, Craig Kilgore, in the first of two new episodes. Craig is the CEO of Coastal Vascular and Vein Center, based in Charleston, South Carolina, where he recently took the helm after 10 successful years as CEO of Charleston ENT and Allergy, and 23 years with the Holston Medical Group in Kingsport, Tennessee, where he served in various leadership roles. We discuss the challenges of remaining independent, staffing and other helpful insights from Craig. Are you ready for this vital conversation? Let's get started. Hello everyone, Uh, Jason Crosby here, and today we are joined by Craig Kilgore, CEO of Coastal Vascular and Vein Center, out of Charleston, South Carolina. Craig, appreciate you joining us today. How are you?
2: Great, thank you, Jason.
1: Fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, we've we've run across Craig in, in different paths over over time, and we know you've had a, a pretty successful background on the independent practice setting. And we really wanted to kind of pick your brain and get your insight on on you know that sort of path that you've been on uh, over the last gosh couple decades in your career here. So we want to hear give give our audience sort of a a background check or a summary of your background as to how you arrived in your current role.
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. I'm originally from Tennessee and uh, graduated from ETSU with an accounting degree and was able to work for IBM while going to school. So that kind of started my uh, career in a, with a good foothold, you know, knowing accounting, but also having you know, some experience with computer systems. So uh, I was able to get a job with a multi-specialty group that was growing in Tennessee, Holston Medical Group. And uh, started as the IT per, uh, manager and operations, and then also CFO, and eventually the CEO. I was there for 23 years, you know, before uh, leaving that position, and then joined Charleston ENT and Allergy in 2012 as the CEO. Was there for the past 11 years, and just recently joined uh, Coastal Vascular and Vein Center. So. I've always been with independent practice. I just enjoy working for physicians. That may be a little bit uh, strange you know, for some people to, to understand, but, uh, but I just really have a tremendous amount of respect for what they do, and uh, it gives me a, a lot of uh, enjoyment and satisfaction to be a part of the delivery system.
1: That's very interesting. So as you started out in that IT and you had the finance background, how would you say being in those roles and having that early on in your career helped you as you got into the more administrative and CEO roles?
2: Well, it was really interesting because my first week, um, with Holston Medical Group was spent in Burlington, Vermont, um, actually training to use the IDX computer system. So, you know, my background with accounting, I understood, you know, you had to figure out how to make money revenue somehow. Uh, and of course the it part of it was like, okay, we have to install computers to use them. But, but anyway, it was like a perfect fit. It was just like, okay, I've got to, I had a lot of, you know, folks that taught me, you know, medical billing and collections and revenue cycle. I didn't know it, you know, when I was 25 years old (laughs) starting there, but, but I had a good foundation. And so I think it was the best potential you know, uh, training and experience for me was to, you know, come back from that first week and then install, you know, the IDX system, you know, throughout the multi group.
0: And certainly you've seen a lot of change in healthcare just from an IT perspective. And most certainly that's been fast forwarded a little bit with COVID. How have you seen changes in private practice in a post COVID world?
2: Post-COVID, so it's been an interesting time period. I think for, you know, depending on what specialty you're in, uh, you either had some significant impacts, you know, to the practice, you know, from uh, COVID and related to the aftermath of COVID, uh, but some actually did very well. I think primary care overall, you did pretty well, you know, during COVID, but yeah, what, we, what we've seen overall in the specialty world is that uh, the the volume really fell off. I mean, because of COVID, and depending on what the specialty was, but I know in ENT, you know, there were significant impacts, um, maybe not in every specialty. I know ophthalmologists did really well, but for some specialties, it really fell off. And uh, honestly, the volume really has been pent up for several years and it's just it's came back you know very strong really in the second half of 23 and so not so much the first half but the second half of 23 so you know it's kind of been uh, a it's been a long recovery yeah, you know, for uh, a lot of the medical practices but yeah you know, but I know that you know now some of the payers are even you know complaining about their medical loss the ratio is being too high because of the volume in 23.
0: Right. Suddenly everyone's seeking care that they previously put off for the last four years. And certainly we've seen with our clients that there's just been this kind of rush to get care, and it's been certainly overwhelming. So maybe you could help frame it by how big of a clinic that you work for today, how many providers you have.
2: Yeah, there are eight uh, physicians and four PAs, and so vascular surgery is not, you know, not one of the ones that uh, you know that most people know a lot about, you know, because of the unique uh, procedures that we do and, and often, you know, life-saving, limb-saving, you know, procedures that are done. Um, but the practice is in um, a growth mode. You know, we're looking to uh, expand. And uh, it's an exciting time, you know, mainly there's a lot of changes in South Carolina with the CON laws. And so, you know, that will work in favor of private practices being able to expand and grow their revenue streams through ambulatory surgery centers in an appropriate manner. I mean, they can't be, you know, uh, too careless with with the growth, but uh, I see it as a great opportunity for uh, independent practices.
1: Maybe dive into that a little bit more as well, Craig. You were not only in a, another state pre-COVID, you were, in, you were in your current state as well, and you've, you've since gone to another group. So you've got a really good pre-post-COVID environment experience with multiple groups. How would you say uh, some other challenges from an administrator or CEO's role would you say has has evolved to where now you're... You're kind of in a okay post pandemic this is just how things are going to be where they weren't a few years ago other challenges that may be the you know that the COVID situation calls to you as an administrator whether it's staffing you know there's of course lots of folks having staffing issues maintaining staff training uh, you know expansion strategy things of that nature what are some of those things you can speak to uh,
2: number one problem across the board is staffing and uh, You know it started with the um stimulus money you know that that came out and people were made whole during the time which was great i mean it had to be done or else it could have been a catastrophic events but you know so people were 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 paid you know uh during that time period um then as soon as that um period ended and employers you know were needing uh you know all kinds of people to work um, some people chose not to go back to work and or found other industries to work in and so healthcare was hit by you know this inflationary pressures that were that were impacted that were generated you know by the uh, covid time period so you know wages for medical assistants and front office people escalated very rapidly and again you had the impact of the the volume not coming back as quickly but yet you know the the cost of doing business continued to increase and so you know it it put a lot of pressure you know on practices during that time period and we really haven't seen any relief in the um in the wage escalations and so you know what was um you know, normal in 2019, you know, is just a a, a memory now. And uh, you know, the the cost of hiring and retaining uh, staff is is just tremendous. And you know, it's not it's not the glamorous uh, positions that it used to be to work in a medical office. You know, uh, so it's kind of like it's really hard work and sometimes you have to put up with patients that are unhappy or confused. And so it's, it's, it's a huge
1: problem. Yeah. And like you said, it's across the board, across the different industry staffing just remains there and customer service to boot. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, Let's keep going down that path as far as evolution and impact into the market, especially in this post pandemic space, how has the payer environment also evolved or maybe become more challenging due to COVID
2: well it was already you know complicated in prior to prior to COVID um, in terms of getting uh, any significant or material increases from payers Um, but it's actually gotten a lot more difficult um, related to increases but just like I said I think is impacting how much the their customers the employers are having to spend on healthcare, um, they're trying to keep the unit cost as low as they possibly can, and uh, so it, it's more it's more difficult probably than ever. The the other factor I think that's happening, and at least in South Carolina, probably and other parts too, is the consolidation of payers. There's just not that many now. I mean, you know, you have the Blues, you have United Healthcare, you have Cigna. To some extent, Aetna, but not not really. And so you really on um, from a commercial payer standpoint, you really I mean, lots of times you only have maybe two major commercial payers, you know, Blue Cross and a little bit of United Healthcare, but you know, that that's probably, you know, one of the, the biggest factors is also is the lack of competition in the commercial payer market.
1: Let's let's speak a little bit more into that as well. You've got you know, 30 plus years in the independent practice setting, right? And of course, every few years you get the tug of war between those that fight to employment and trying to remain independent, and it's quite a struggle for folks in your role to to maintain that independent practice setting. What what role would you say that the payer should have in trying to preserve that status as an independent practice setting?
2: Well, you you would you would think it would be. um they would embrace, you know, private practice groups and try to help support them, you know, in every way possible. Um, compared to, you know, paying more to health systems for the employed physicians, but uh, it just is such a—it's an industry that just doesn't follow normal economic <laughs> guidelines, as we already know. I mean, healthcare, particularly on the medical, uh, on the physician practice side. Doesn't always follow, you know. It's not a, not necessarily supply and demand you know, related issues, but um, the you know the number of physicians that are employed now uh, compared to any time in the past. You know, I think I saw something. I don't remember the statistic. I hate to quote numbers, but it's just the increasing number of physicians that are now employed either by a hospital system or a private equity you know is just increasing to the point where you know the the physicians that are trained coming out of training, their fellowship programs, you know they are they are not looking to go into private practice you know some of it is the you know the, the risk associated with being your own uh, uh, company and the exposure that you have financially to actually, Uh, making the investment and then growing the practice, they would prefer to have a, a job where they have an income and they have hours and they, you know, don't want to take the risk associated with private practice.
1: You being in the specialist setting, you know, primary care, of course, can, you know, sort of partner and team up in the ACO type of model. You being a specialist, a little bit more challenging, but clinically integrated networks, have uh, become, a, of course, a very popular model as well. And I I know you've got some background and in, in working in, in that sort of setup and structure. Maybe speak to that as far as your independent specialist experience in the CIN and how that maybe can help others thrive as well.
2: Yeah, um, so going back to my days in Tennessee, so HM Ulster Medical Group started as a primary care group, then grew a specialty practice uh, and eventually became an ACO and they are doing very well you know they are now um, you know a delivery system all contained in the multi-specialty group so so that model has been embraced by the payers you know by medicare and so it took it took a long time you know for that actually to to change the you know the reimbursement focus from unit cost for primary care over to care management but it's really happened and it's done it's it works very well you know for specialists you know the specialists are really kind of a uh, not tightly integrated uh, in CINs we can be a member of multiple CINs you know we don't have to have a, a exclusivity with any particular CIN um, and so that gives the specialist a lot more, you know, flexibility. And I, I just don't, I, I mean, there may, be, there may be some CINs that are hospital-owned and, you know, their medical practice is, is a closed practice, which I'm sure there are, but, you know, for private practices um, in the specialty area, you know, the biggest thing that we can, that we compete on is our accessibility and so we're more accessible than the closed systems we're equal to their quality if not higher and we uh, bring a better value and so the cost of our procedures done in ambulatory surgery centers are you know 20 to 30 percent less than the same procedures done in you know hospital outpatient departments or inpatient uh, hospitals.
0: You know, a lot of our clients have participated in CINs and uh, tend to be on the larger side. Uh, It seems that the smaller doctors shy away from those. So I guess in your opinion, what are these sort of challenges that a smaller practice might be facing right now? How could that be a part of a CIN? Maybe they are trying to avoid being bought out. What are the challenges that they're seeing from these bigger groups?
2: I think one thing is, and it's just a matter of the uh, sometimes the smaller practices will um, not maybe maybe they don't have the type of person that understands you know how to contract with payers or how to you know maximize their contracts with the CIN or you know sometimes they might not be doing a great job on their revenue cycle you know which is so critical and so it's just and and I understand the conundrum I mean can they they don't think they can afford to hire somebody you know that has experience and and talent to better manage their practice but yet if they don't (laughs) then they're going to struggle and you know I think that's a that's a real, very common problem, you know, with smaller, smaller groups is is not uh, attracting, you know, the the level of experience and uh, education, not necessarily education, it's really experience, you know, that they need to successfully run their practice, you know, whether it's you know CIN or just a, a PPO network or or whatever. I mean, it all requires really understanding you know the what kind of contract that you're getting into so yeah, i don't think it's unique to just cin so i think it's just in general just practice management
1: in terms of the challenges you you see more with the smaller practices because to aaron's point we see it with a lot of our smaller hospital clients as well sort of that that gap of resources that's available to them in-house uh, is far more limited than the larger systems, naturally, as you would you would think. And so it sounds like it obviously translates on the practice setting side as well. what What are some ways or initiatives or you know if you've outsourced, what are some ways you've helped overcompensate? or you've seen the practice that you've been associated with compensate for those gaps in resources or talent or function or whatever the case may be? What type of initiatives would you put out there that you guys have tackled?
2: You know, I, I think it's a great question. So it's kind of a, you know, it's it's both on the physicians and also the practice leadership. Um, is networking and participation in professional associations. So whether it's MGMA, um, tremendous resource there for your practice administrators to lean on and become you know networks, and and they have specific specialty networks or whatever you know that you can join, and their message boards are really helpful. I know with uh, E N T, it's an organization called Ascent, A S C E N T, and it's an administrators only network of about a thousand members. Um, I was the president of that in E N T, you know, for well last year, yeah. And so uh, it's a great organization. And so, you know, I encourage people to, you know, they, some people don't really try to, to, to learn, but I think that's huge. I also think for the physicians, you know, sometimes they, they don't think they get a lot of value out of their um, specialty associations, but I encourage them to really you know, reach out because they they can be very helpful. you know I don't know all of them but but I do think that the ones the, the ones I'm familiar with, you know, provide a lot of great resources for practices. And so you know I think to I think sometimes the resources are out there. You know it's just that you have to make an effort you know, to go find them.
1: Great point. Yeah, we I tell you one of our IPAs that we work with, You you hit it right on the nail there that probably the greatest, one of the greater benefits of even being on the IPA is the administrator networking, the lunches, the meetings, that what are you doing about this? What are you doing about that? Just the dialogue and being able to meet each other is of tremendous benefit.
2: Yeah. yeah. Even, you know, speaking to that here in Charleston, prior to COVID, you know, we had a network of at least 15 to 20 independent groups, multi-specialty, primary care and specialty groups that would get together. Um, Not I mean it wasn't we didn't have a formal organization but it was just kind of a a networking and sharing. You know of course that was another casualty of COVID you know that kind of disintegrated and you know some of those groups are now owned by hospital systems which is you know the trend that we're seeing. I mean a lot of. you know, some fairly significant uh, practices now are, you know, hospital employed versus independent. I just, you know, uh, me being a private practice, you know, guy, I really, I really hate to see that.
1: You've been listening to Beyond the stethoscope vital conversations with SHP. This has been a production of Strategic Healthcare Partners.
0: Your hosts are Jason Crosby and me, Aaron C. Higgins. This episode was produced and edited by Nyland Weave. Our social media content producer is Jeremy Miller.
1: The transcriber is Heather McKnight, and our executive producers are Mike Scribner and John Curry. For
0: more information about SHP, the services we offer, including the back library of episodes, episode transcripts, links to resources that we discussed, and much more, please visit our website at slash podcasts.
1: Thank you for listening.
0: Analytics, lacking the tandem of actionable reporting with expert analysis, not confident in the knowledge of your reporting system? SHP's expert analysts transform data from your EMR system into actionable insights. Understand your facility's performance, control outcomes, and enhance patient experience. As payment models shift to value-based care, our guidance can improve your bottom line. Visit
1: shpllc.com for details.